How important to our health is the food we eat? Studies show over and over we can prevent or even correct some serious health problems with the right eating habits. Today, Kathy Burns, the CEO of the International Fresh Produce Association, joins us on the phone to talk about a pilot program that has doctors prescribing food as medicine and how government programs like Medicaid can help get healthy food into more households. I'm Sabrina Halverson, and that's coming up now on the Agnet Weekly Podcast. Kathy, I want to start off by thanking you for taking a few minutes to give me a call and to talk today. I appreciate it. I no, my pleasure. I was able to catch the AgriPulse Food and Ag Policy Summit, and you were on one of the panels for that. And it was a panel about food as medicine. And so I wanted to start off with talking about that to start off that conversation. I'd like to just define this for our listeners. What do you mean or, or what is meant when we say food as medicine? Are we talking about using some exotic spice instead of penicillin? Yeah, so maybe, uh, Sabrina, if you don't mind, maybe I'll take a second just to set a little context of why um, we are so adamant that food is medicine and can be medicine. You know, as we look at the landscape right now, it's hard to believe, but 80% of healthcare dollars in this country are allocated to preventable chronic disease. Uh, What's even more scary is that one in 10 Americans, um, only one in 10 Americans, meet the government's recommended guidelines for fruit and vegetable consumption. So that means nine out of 10 don't. So 80% of healthcare dollars in the country are allocated to preventable chronic diseases, and 90% of Americans are not eating the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables. So what that tells us logically is that there is definitely a role for food interventions in the healthcare system because I, I actually I hate to say it but what we've done to date to address dietary quality largely has not worked. So as we start to think about food as medicine it isn't it isn't about exotic um food although we love our exotic fruits and vegetables but it's really ensuring that First of all, we as Americans follow our own government's dietary guidelines that are based on science that recommends five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. And because of what we have done both with produce prescriptions and medically tailored meals, which I'd be happy to share more about, we actually are seeing behavior changes and better health outcomes as a result of these interventions. And that kind of moves along to the next thing that I wanted to ask about, and it's more along the lines of what is food as medicine. One thing that I was very interested in in watching that panel was that healthier food recommendations, as you mentioned, for certain healthcare needs. And there, mm-hmm. are, there are now programs that can actually write some prescriptions for certain foods at the grocery stores. Do you think that we will be able to see more of that? As, I mean, as you know, as everybody knows healthy food is extremely important to the overall health of a human being. Um, Writing prescriptions for, you know, if you need more um, of a certain nutrient, you can get it through your actual fruits and vegetables. Do you think that that'll be happening more? Yeah, we are counting on it, and IFEA is advocating for it. And the door really did become open for this. Actually, produce prescriptions as pilots have been going on for quite some time now. There are about 108 produce prescriptions, probably actually more than that that now, Sabrina, across 32 states. Um, And produce prescriptions are exactly like what what the name says. You go to a doctor, you may have a particular disease state that can be, um, that's diet-induced, and the doctor gives you a prescription um, for a fruit fruit and vegetable benefit. You take that to your local retailer, um, either through a card or a voucher, 
um, and you pick up fruits and vegetables that obviously were um, recommended by your doctor, and you go through the checkout, and, and there you have it. Um, you end up getting a prescription for, for food. Um, thus, food is medicine. <laughs> so, you know, as I talked about the landscape earlier, the real question is how are we going to really activate against food as medicine? We have 150 million Americans that are covered by federal health care. So when you factor in Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, um, the VA, Health Indian Services, just to name a few. So let's just take Medicare. If you take Medicare alone, we can we approximate that there are around 30 million enrollees who would be eligible due to a diet-related disease they have or that they're food insecure. So let's take a modest $40 a month um, for a produce prescription benefit per person, that's like $1.33 a day. So it's not extreme. Um, this could translate to almost $14 billion in annually in fruits and vegetables um, sales, and that's just in Medicare. So if you replicate that across federal health systems, all those systems that I just spoke about, and then you have private insurers, mimic that because they are now seeing the benefits. Now we're talking about real transformational change. And yes, the sales are fantastic and it's great for both the stores and the farmers and everyone around the supply chain. But just think about the impact that that would have on the health of our, our nation. And we're seeing that happen right now. As I mentioned, those 108 pilots across 32 states um, are actually proving results. We've seen significant improvement in weight or BMI We've seen a reduction in blood pressure. We've seen uh, a change in people's um, HbA1c results, which um, obviously that is related to di um, diabetes. But 108 programs across 32 states is not enough. We absolutely need to be able to scale them, um, and that's what we're working on. And, and I certainly can talk about where we see the funding avenues for that to happen. Yeah, I would like to um, discuss funding. And in fact, you mentioned federal medical programs, and with having food that is actually prescribed, that does mm -hmm. open up you know, new funding ways to help get healthy food into Americans. Can we go over some of that, how that would be paid for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the White House conference uh, last September on food, hunger, and nutrition really created a pathway for these to move forward at scale. So four states are already running produce prescriptions through Medicaid, California, North Carolina, Oregon, and Massachusetts. And I would suspect you are going to see a lot more coming this year and into next year. But we're also going to have to push in some places, too, um, to make sure that they see the benefit and ultimately the results. So, at the, so that's at the state level. At the federal level, um, Indian Health Services and the VA have uh, already committed to doing produce um, po uh, prescription pilots. So that's really thanks to Representative uh, Shelley Pingree's leadership on that front. Um, so it, again, obviously, specialty crops will benefit from programs like these, but it's also the right thing to do for uh, the patient and the consumer, and we believe it's it's very much um, in the in the wheelhouse to be able to scale this. But it's going to need us bringing the right pieces together. So it's policymakers, retailers, uh, the healthcare system, technology, and the user experience. So all of these need to come together across, um, really across the supply chain. 
and amongst each of these programs in order for this to, to really get to scale. So this isn't a, as much about um, a farm bill funding issue. Right now, about 10% of GusNet funding in the farm bill goes to produce prescriptions, and we are obviously want to protect that. But the dollars are already there in the systems that we just talked about to be able to repurpose those dollars um, into into food as medicine that ultimately helps these disease states over time so that ultimately patients are not getting their treatments through a pill, but certainly by what's on their plates. Which, in the end, costs less than the pills and all of the medical treatments do, I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you would hope over time, and taste better, quite right. frankly. <laughs> right, <laughs> Better quality of life. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, one more thing on funding, mm-hmm. uh, Sabrina, if I could. Sure. Um, we know we can't fund produce prescriptions long-term through the USDA or the Farm Bill. The resources just aren't there. Um, that's why these pilots are so important um, while we're still in this growth phase because we're testing different models. So... Our ask for this farm bill is to maintain that 10% that I spoke of earlier towards produce prescriptions and also fund projects that test in clinical uh, settings because obviously the more data that we can gather to show positive outcomes for for healthcare, then the providers hopefully will, will see the benefit and should see the benefit to scale this on their own. So while this is happening and outside of the scope of the farm bill, we need the states to take advantage of what's called the uh, Medicaid 1115 waivers. And again, based on the White House conference in September, this opened up the opportunity for states to use these waivers um, for food-based interventions in the states. That's very different. And again, funding's already there. We're just saying, okay, now we can kind of open up the aperture to how we can use this funding. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, four states are, are already doing this. And again, once they start to do it, we'll track results and hopefully get on the flywheel and and can't wait till all 50 states uh, take advantage of these waivers. I want to ask about um, education. Sometimes change is hard. Mm. It's strange to think of healthy eating as being a change uh, because, you know, as as humans, we started out with healthy eating and then somewhere along the line, we (laughs) diverted from that. Now we're coming back to it. Um, there, <laughs> what happened to that chicken soup for the soul, right? I know, right? <laughs> but is there, is there an educational component to help people understand why healthy eating is so important? I know that, I mean, I know that doctors do this and nutritionists do this, but um, in including education with the food as medicine, helping more people understand why it's important. Is that an aspect to this as well, or are you leaving that to, like, the doctor's office? No, absolutely. We're not leaving anything to chance. Um, The nutritionists obviously get a fair amount of training uh, as it relates to how food impacts diet-related diseases. Not so much on the physician side. And so education, one of our commitments Um, Our own industry commitments coming out of the White House conference was around education. It's funny that you mentioned that. And we're attacking it on all types of fronts, um, through WIC, through SNAP, uh, through pediatricians' offices. Uh, We're actually creating a series of uh, short vignette videos that we um, hope will be part of medical training uh, through universities. So the more education that we can provide physicians, nutritionists, Uh, People going into WIC offices or SNAP offices or talking to their local pharmacists in a retail store, 
obviously the RDs in a retail store um, are well-trained, but the more that we can educate people on the benefits of food as medicine and also, so there's the actual health benefit. The other gap that we're solving for is teaching people how to cook the products that we provide. On fruit, it's a little easier, a little more straightforward. We, the biggest gap that we see is in vegetables. What do I do with a beet? What do I do with a taro root? What do I do? How do I make broccoli really taste good? Um, because a lot of parents remember eating broccoli in, uh, in, their, uh, in their education, and maybe it wasn't uh, they didn't have the best experience. And certainly in the school environment, that has, uh, has transformed, and we're getting much better, both in terms of um, the dedication that's, that school food service directors are giving uh, to the products they prepare and how they prepare them. And obviously, we put uh, salad bars in a lot of schools. But it's the at-home experience that we need to make sure when we're giving a medically tailored meal or we're giving a produce prescription that people actually know what to do with the product once they get home. And that is going to create uh, the surprise and delight of what fresh produce uh, is all about and make sure that it's a sustainable intervention. Mm -hmm. That brings to mind another question that I had, and and I'm not sure that... um and I'm not sure if you can answer it, and if you can't, that's fine. But I, mm-hmm. I do know that you have a, a good history in the, gro- in the grocery industry as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm a lucky person. I spent most of my life in California. I had fresh produce mm-hmm. readily available all the time. Um, recently, I moved someplace where I am. It is much okay. harder <laughs> to get fresh produce where I currently mm-hmm. live. What can we do for... For people in the program, in the you know, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about the, the um, 30-some states that are currently part of the pilot program. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of those states are in areas where they don't grow fresh produce, like in California mm-hmm. or in the southeast. How can we help get more fresh produce to the people there who may not have the access to it year-round like we do in other places? Will this program help? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously we've improved our supply chain logistics um, pretty markedly over the years, um, and you could see that as a result of COVID. I think if you were to shop in any retail store during COVID, um, the department that was stood up the best was produce. Why? Because we deal with um, headwinds all the time, whether it's Mother Nature, whether it's transportation, whether it's refrigeration, um, there's always challenges across the supply chain. So not to the extreme of COVID, but uh, it is a very dynamic and flexible um, part of the plate. And uh, we've worked for years trying to perfect that. So I think what you have seen and will continue to see is stores that serve some of those communities beyond grocery stores, uh, dollar stores, convenience stores are starting to add and have been adding for quite a number of years now, um, produce variety to their offering for the very reason that you just said is because we need to make sure that regardless of where you live in this country, you should be able to have access uh, to fresh fruits and vegetables. And I've been very pleased with what I'm seeing across channels as they continue to expand their portfolio. The other uh, opportunity that I see, and and it's going to come faster and faster, um, and it already is, quite frankly, is around e-commerce. And, um, you know, you're starting to see um, e-commerce operators provide uh, fresh fruits and vegetables at scale so that consumers are just not not ordering center of the 
center of the store or frozen items, but now they're starting to trust e-commerce. And again, I think this is a, I mean, e-commerce accelerated um, incredibly during uh, COVID and you're starting to see those behaviors continue on. And um, and, uh, you're going to see, again, some providers, Instacart is one that just announced a partnership with the Partnership for a Healthier America, where they are committed to ensure that we can get fresh fruits and vegetables, healthy products into the hands and the mouths and the stomachs uh, of those that may not have access. So on the the far out spectrum, Sabrina, um, I'm sure there'll be a day where the drones will be delivering this to people that can't get to a local (laughs) grocery store. And that, 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 that time probably isn't that far away. So access cannot be a barrier um, to make sure that our, our nation is healthy. Uh, you know, if if we don't change the trajectory of the eating habits of this next generation, this will be the first generation that will not live as long as their parents will live. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that to happen under my watch. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's yeah. It's kind of hard to hear to hear it put that way. Is, <laughs> exactly, exactly, and especially when we know we have the solution. Right. Um, you know, you cannot live a healthy lifestyle without eating fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables. Right. It just, it's not possible. So your question about access is a good one. And I've been very, very pleased with how retail has taken this on. Uh, e-commerce is starting to do that as well. Um, and we just cannot let access be a barrier. You know, those are all of the questions that I really had, but, I, but am I missing anything important? Or is there any other point that you really want our listeners to know or any other, you know, anything else that you'd like to say? Yeah, I mean, I think at the International Fresh Produce Association, um, we are really committed to uh, create a vibrant future for all. And we're, again, through the work that we do, we are holding ourselves accountable to change the trajectory of human health uh, in this country and, quite frankly, around the world, Sabrina. And we know our access to be able to do that is for more people to have more access to fruits and vegetables year-round, regardless of where they live. Um, so it's our job to advocate for that. And what we talked about today was uh, programs that would allow us to do that, but also to remove any barriers to prevent that from happening. So we will continue um, to fight for that, to be a strong voice for that, because quite frankly, not only is the industry counting on us doing that, uh, us doing that but uh, the American consumer is as well. So that's, that's all I would add in closing. Thank you again to Kathy Burns, CEO of the International Fresh Produce Association. For the AgNet Weekly Podcast, I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thanks for tuning in.